It's time to get in the zone. The Fantasy Football Zone. Hey guys, where else would you rather be? Get involved with the show by following us on Twitter at DraftThatGuy. Want a piece of that championship? Put it in here. This is the Fantasy Football Zone. And welcome back in the Fantasy Football Zone. We're recapping this year of fantasy. It was a wild one, that's for sure. And we got Joe Bartle once again on the line from rotowire.com. I guess we, we haven't been on since week 16, so I mean... This proves, once again, you got to have a good bench because so many star players were out that final week of the season when it counted the most. Yeah, or they were limited, I'm thinking. I mean, not Derrick Henry, who ended up uh, setting the rushing record, but he probably hurt you in Week 16. But you have the the Delvin Cooks of the world as well, too, and all the receivers for the Buccaneers that you've been depending on the first first, uh, 13 or 14 weeks. And then there was Prashad Perriman, of all people, that ended up going off. It, it, it It was crazy, but kind of... Kind of exactly how you'd imagine a crazy season to go. It's just like the cumulative end to what has been a cumulative uh, year of craziness for the NFL. I just had to laugh at the people that blame Jameis Winston for costing them the championship. Because here's the thing. (laughs) You know what you're getting with him. You're going to get the yards. You're going to get the 300-yard game. You might get some touchdowns. You don't know where. But you're definitely going to get the interceptions. And when he threw the four picks, people were acting surprised. It's like, no, he's the first 30-30 member club guy. So, I mean, what did you expect? Oh, right, exactly. And and I guess you could have gotten to the championship point without Jameis Winston, too. Like that was entirely possible. But he probably got you there anyway. Like, you live by Jameis and you die by Jameis. Yes. I think that's probably uh, Buccaneers fans, how they would describe it, too. Certainly Bruce Arians seems to be on the... Uh, I'm going to just avoid that scenario for 2020 yeah. uh, train with his comments. Like that was like, Oh wow. I've never seen a coach say something like that. But yeah. again, it's, it's almost how I would exactly describe Jameis Winston's career. He has done so many things that I never would have thought. And he does it on a consistent basis. Like he's a trendsetter for all the right reasons and all the wrong reasons. And it's, it's crazy to see uh, and really think about what the Buccaneers should have to do for this off season, because they certainly have talent. I think it's, it's quite clear that Todd Bowles is one of the better defensive coordinators in the NFL right now. He might not be a great head coach, just like Pat Shermer might not be a great head coach, but there are some guys that are just really good coordinators, and we've seen that Buccaneers defense take a step. Can the offense, can the team take a step with or without Jameis Winston? That's going to be the next uh, critical factor for Tampa Bay, and really an offense that is one of the bigger fantasy assets, I think, out there right now and certainly entering the next year. Yeah, they proved it, especially, you know, if you take away those thir- you know, those interceptions and those turnovers, they're still putting up production. So, yeah, when Arians made those comments, yeah, you know, maybe we could find another quarterback. I mean, just imagine that, yeah, that could make Evans and Gutwin's value vault up even more next year. Yeah, and I wonder if they have to re-sign Perriman as well. I mean, yeah. we saw Adam Humphreys go get a big deal with Tennessee, he's been largely non-existent, which we kind of figured that was going to be the case. But Perriman has uh, athletic traits that are quite defining and certainly made him a first-round pick for the Ravens way back when. I think he's going to have to be a guy, especially if Evans or God, when you're concerned about not signing them or can't uh, attribute all that money to that cap or the cap space to that position, that might be a scenario where he's a cheaper alternative and you let a guy like Evans who doesn't have the same type of speed or a guy like Godwin who has taken so many years to get to this point. I think Godwin's could be really, really good. So it'd be stupid or foolish for them, but uh, anything's on the table when it comes to the Buccaneers. And it, it's, it's definitely interesting. I'm, I'm like, there's a few offense or like offseason key points I'm looking at too. Robbie Anderson and what he does, uh, if he rejoins the Jets, that's yeah. going to be a complete fantasy sink. But if he goes to like, well, I don't know, a half dozen two or more teams, he's going to be a top 20, top 25 wide receiver because of the potential alone. I think there's a lot of those kind of guys that are available this offseason. Uh, that could be signed by either their teams or somebody else 
that can make a huge difference when it comes to their fantasy value in 2020. And back to Week 16, I just wanted to touch on this. Once again, a Philadelphia Eagles running back probably cost you a championship, maybe, with Miles Sanders, the big breakaway run, but then he uh, he goes down without scoring the touchdown, which probably would have helped someone win a league somewhere. So, again, there was one of those plays in the championship weekend to pe- for people to uh, pull their hair out over. Here I thought we were going to start doing a, a victory dance about Mike Boone and the Packers being able to survive that yes. football game and get the win and here I, I was on Sirius XM that Monday of the game thinking, all right, this is this is not good news. Obviously, Packers' run defense has been so suspect for much of the year. And, of yep. course, they play their very best game they have all season long, and they completely shut down the run. And I thought Mike Boone, while I wasn't out there recommending go ahead and start him, if you decide to and roll the dice and risk that possibility, I thought it was going to end up being a, a pretty lucrative return, and that absolutely was not the case. Only for Week 17 to come around, and then he was actually really good, like mm-hmm. what we were anticipating was going to happen in Week 16. It's going to be really interesting to see what the Packers, uh, well, Packers defense can do moving forward because for as great as you felt following that Vikings game, you probably had to feel equally bad after the Lions game where it felt like the corpse of Carrion Johnson, Bo Scarborough, and two other guys that were practice squad candidates ravaging 40 yards per carry on dives at the middle. It was just really frustrating to see and really frustrating knowing the defense can do well against the run, which we saw last week in the most pivotal game of the season uh, against the Vikings. And the guy on the other sideline in Week 16, he helped you win a championship, and he uh, tweeted about it, Aaron Jones, with that big run. And, yeah, he had a huge game. And, I, you know, we talked about this a couple weeks ago where, you know, his stock might be coming into next year. We You never know with this offense. But, I mean, the touchdowns are definitely there this year, and the rushing yards were there. So, I mean, he might be in that conversation, top 10. I don't know if he could sneak in that five spot, but he's definitely in there. Yeah, we actually did, Jake and I, my co-host on the RotoWire Tuesday podcast, which had its final episode posted, I think, on the 26th, because I unfortunately scheduled it incorrectly. It was supposed to come out the 24th on our normal Tuesday spot. And, uh, Dang you know, Christmas. Illiterate technology Joe was unfortunately unable to schedule it correctly. So we did have it come out, and we actually did a post, or we did a 2020 um, early, early first-round mock draft. All right. We had Aaron Jones. In that first-round conversation, I think he was six or seven. I'd have to go okay. back and look for certain. But we had Aaron Jones in there. and I, You look at Mike Williams, like the receiver for the Chargers, and he had 10 touchdowns the year before. Yep. He had two this year. That's the most obvious case of touchdown regression. Aaron Jones will have touchdown regression. There is absolutely no way he scores as many touchdowns as he did. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's like under 10, which is kind of significant given how many times he found the end zone this year. But there are some players that are just good at finding touchdowns. Melvin Gordon, in particular, after that first season with the Chargers, had zero, and then now has been like a double-digit guy ever since. I don't know if he quite hit that threshold this year, but he certainly would have been on pace if he all played all 16 games. Like, yes. there, there are guys that can do that. I think Aaron Jones fits, that, fits the offense, and the Packers and the Mike McCarthy era, that was one of their biggest struggles, right, that they could mm-hmm. not convert in the red zone. They might have their guy, their answer, and I think Aaron Jones – is going to be someone that has to be considered in the first round for drafts next year. All right, so you know, quarterbacks, especially keeper leagues, you got to start taking this stuff into consideration. It's this is a year-round game, especially the keeper leagues. So uh, you know, we're, I'm in a couple of those. I made the mistake of letting Lamar Jackson go. I thought I was he was going to be in my top three, but then I I didn't think the passing yards were there, and I was somewhat correct there because he's he only had like 3,200 passing yards, but he had all the TDs and rushing yards, so that killed me on that. So going into next year, is he one Mahomes two, or is it still he's got to he's got to still throw up some yards 
passing yards wise to get up to that Mahomes line? No, I, I think it's Lamar Jackson very clearly oh, yeah. number okay. one. And then I, we actually had Mahomes, or we had Lamar in the first round as well. That was a, a Jake selection. I think I would have had him closer to 11 or 12. So if you're in a 12 team league, he's probably a very early second round pick, similar to what Patrick Mahomes was this year. And of course, depends on the scoring system that you have. So there's, uh, you know, I play in some higher stakes leagues where it's six points per touchdown pass, which made Mahomes and I think Lamar Jackson as well a bit more valuable. Either way, though, the, the rushing floor that Jackson's giving you, and I, again, I just I keep commenting and keep thinking about it. There are so many times where I feel like he's going to get hit huge or take a huge hit or yeah. something like that, and he really never does. He's so elastic as a quarterback that it's it's really a truly, a, a, I think, a hopefully a transcending skill because there's certainly quarterbacks, I think RG3 in particular, you're like, oh, great, all this athleticism yeah. in the world, but then they just get hurt right away or they take so many big shots. I don't think Lamar Jackson's going to be that kind of guy, and maybe we'll have too much helium when it comes to August drafts next year. Oh, my God, Lamar Jackson needs to be in the first round, and he'll inevitably get hurt because that's just what happens to the position. Yep. But for as a guy that runs as much as he does and, and really is involved in a crucial part of that offense that was one of the best in the NFL this year, I just don't feel like that's a big a con- or as big of a concern as some people might make it up to be uh, when we get closer to drafts next year. I'll be devil's advocate, though, because I've seen the shelf life you know, of his style. You mentioned some of the names, but it seems like the type of quarterback, three years, pretty dang good, pretty good stats they'll put up. But then after that fourth and fifth year, they start to tend off. So we're still in that window where, yeah, he's going to be good. But, I mean, if you're looking long-term, I think eventually it might catch up with him. Well, would you want to get rid of somebody that has this type of ceiling for a three to four year span, even if that's the case? Like, like uh, it depends he threw on who I got to give up. And six interceptions, and also ran for twelve hundred yards. Like it's it's hard to imagine. You're like, all right, if I'm going to plan for the future five years from now, I can't go ahead and have Lamar Jackson. One, you are setting yourself up for championship success in three to four year span, almost guaranteed by what he can do when he's on the field. And I do believe that he's going to be a guy that isn't missing all that much time relative to some of his other colleagues at the position. Like, your injuries are going to happen. That just mm-hmm. happens naturally. I don't think that his running style makes him any more likely to get hurt than Patrick Mahomes, who did have an injury yeah. this year and was one of the reasons why you shouldn't be drafted quarterbacks in the second <laughs> round. If you want to make the argument, hey, quarterbacks can get hurt and they're yeah. pretty easily replaceable, okay, I understand that. But let's not over-exaggerate and say Lamar Jackson's going to get hurt more because he's running the ball more. I just don't think that's quite the case given how little he really truly gets hit Mm-hmm. given all the touches he has. All right, we'll move to running backs here. And Christian McCaffrey, he's got to be hands down up there, the MVP for fantasy this year. And uh, it's going to be interesting what's going to go on in Carolina here with the new coaching search going on. <laughs> I, I was afraid when I heard the name Mike McCarthy being mentioned there because, boy, that would really, I think, would might limit his uh, reception totals, it seems like. So <laughs> it, it all depends on who they pick there, but he's – I, he's got to be number one when August comes around, right? Oh, that's yeah. It's a it's a no doubter, yeah. and I guess they could probably. Uh, I'm trying to think of who are the worst. You could put Hugh Jackson See, out there, and I'm say, pretty who, sure. Which coach uh, would really? Yeah. I was wondering as, that. Yeah, yeah, it's the number one guy. Like I think it's pretty clear to me that um, with his role in the offense, and I just don't know. You look at Christian McCaffrey's games, like his skill set, and you're like, oh yeah, I, I need to like move away from it. No, you need to give him as many touches as possible. And if you get worried about his second contract, I get that. So that's a conversation that could be had two or three years down the road. Right now, you're talking about the most dynamic weapon in the NFL was an all pro in two separate spots this year and deservedly. So 
I think that he's going to be the number one pick this year, and it's going to be very like like good number one pick, not oh Saquon Barkley kind of disappointment yeah. that we saw this year as a number one pick. And that's what I find real fascinating heading into this offseason because you know Saquon. He was up there. I know a lot of people said, you know, Zeke's up there, but, you know, unanimously it was Saquon going into this season, and now he's fallen down. Kamara had that struggle stretch. Now he picked up towards the end of the year here a little bit in the last two games. So you got him, Kamara, you know, the the other names, you can throw Zeke in there and what's going to happen in Dallas there, but you you assume he's going to be fine. But it's quite the different contrast we have going into next year than this past year that we had for fantasy running backs. Oh, yeah, and David Johnson, too, yeah, who is yeah, my number, I think, four behind Zeke. Yeah. And even with the contract stuff, I had Zeke at that high. And, and David Johnson, I mean, completely uh, you know, did, did horrible to the Cardinals. And I don't, I don't know if they were going back or yeah, what Kenny Drake's like stats is going to yeah. be. Like Some people are talking about Kenny Drake as a late first-round guy if David Johnson is cut, which is entirely possible for Johnson. I, I've never been a huge believer of Drake, and I have a hard time buying into him now. But if that scenario to occur, I, I could see it as well. So... There's some obvious names. You have the Christian McCaffrey, Zeke, Nick Chubb, Derrick Henry, uh, Delvin Cook, Saquon Barkley, Kamara, Elliott, and Jones are going to be your pretty clear top eight, top ten running backs. And I think all of them end up going in the first round. So you're really only talking about Michael Thomas, DeAndre Hopkins, Devontae Adams, Atulio Jones as first-round wide receivers. Lamar Jackson could be in that conversation, too. And tight end, I'm sure we'll get to in a little bit with Kiddo, Kelsey, and Ertz. But it's still pretty high premium in terms of top guys. But there's a lot that needs to happen in the offseason for them to be comfortable with. A few of them, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, what's happening there? Yeah. Aaron Jones, and are we, like, what, what's your idea of the touchdown regression? What's going to happen with that? Is the Delvin Cook offense going to really be the center point again for the Vikings next year? You have to imagine so, but we've seen he has some durability concerns. What if they really try to get Alexander Mass a little bit more involved, a la Jamal Williams? Will that hinder Delvin Cook in any way, or is the Ryan Tannehill offense with Derrick Henry and everything else is that going to change a little bit. There's a lot of question marks, and I think, with to see things progress through the offseason. But it feels pretty clear that the top guys, and this probably goes for every single year, but uh, the top guys at the end of the fantasy spectrum uh, this season will be the carryovers next year. The rankings is going to be uh, different. And obviously, as we saw this year with so many first-round picks being bust yeah. in the 2019 August drafts or 2019 drafts in August, like that's – We'll have to see what happens and, and where you rank those guys moving forward when we come 2020. Well, and I do think they have a better class, rookie class, than this upcoming draft class at the running back position with Dobbins and Taylor and others that they might factor in a little bit. I'm not saying they're going to be way up there and like top, you got to start them right away like Zeke was when when uh, he got drafted by Dallas, when people were saying you got to draft him high. But I think they'll figure in a little bit, these guys, because you got Dobbins and Taylor, two two guys that are pretty good. And I think Dobbins is going to be maybe the better pro out of the two because of his pass catching ability. So, I mean, that that's going to be interesting to see too on who and where, what situation he goes to. Oh, I'll take it one step farther. I think including the water receivers of this draft class, this is going to be one of the better or more rich rookie opportunities to start in fantasy in 2020 than we've had in maybe four or five years, maybe a little bit more yeah. than that. I think back to the AJ Green, Julio uh, Jones draft class, okay, it's pretty yeah. clear. For a few of those guys, that, all right, yep, I need to have my my lineup, and I went to receivers, running backs, whatever else. We've had guys that are automatics. You mentioned Ezekiel Elliott. Saquon Barkley was in that conversation, yep. too. But just think back to this year. Oh, well, David Montgomery should be a third or fourth round <laughs> pick because. Or, yeah. oh, yeah, Miles Sanders needs to be in that conversation because. And 
Sanders proved to be valuable down the stretch. Montgomery at no point was really valuable this year. Nope. More of a, a frustration. I think we're going to see a complete turn where there's there's three or four running backs that I think have the talent to be third or fourth round guys or even higher than that depending on the situation they get drafted into. And we'll return that value because they are really good players uh, that will be situations that should be profitable for them. So I'm I'm even higher than you in terms of this draft class, and I think it's going to be really lucrative both for running backs and wide receivers. And if you are in a quarterback heavy, heavy league or two quarterback league, too, I think obviously the talk is all about that, and rightfully so. This is going to be a really offensive-laden draft in those first three rounds or so, and I'm really excited to see how it plays out. Now, we touched on wide receivers. Michael Thomas, you know, he's got to be number one. But does that ranking, do you think that would get effective if Breeze decides to retire this offseason? No. I, I think you'll see a little bit of a, a touchdown in terms of receptions because you literally have to. I mean, yes. yeah. he, he set a record. Yeah. And there's a reason why he set a record, because the records don't get set all the year, yeah. every time. I think, I think by default, 149 receptions, you have to assume, will be a little bit less. But his catch rate was still pretty impressive, given the amount of targets he had. And I think so long as he stays healthy, which by all indications we seem will be the case, Thomas will be just fine. And I think behind Christian McCaffrey is my number two overall pick in PPR leagues. And I think much like when Antonio Brown was really in that three to five overall range conversation, and that was multiple years you could take him at that spot and feel comfortable with the price you're getting. I think Michael Thomas has now gotten to that point where above DeAndre Hopkins, above Devontae Adams, even in standard leagues, I feel like I, he's worth that high of a selection in first rounds because of his role in the offense, whether or not Breeze is there or not makes no difference to me. We saw it with Teddy Bridgewater when Breeze is out this year that Bridgewater was still getting Thomas involved, maybe a little bit less, and I think a full offseason to game plan for what to do with the quarterback position would make me feel comfortable saying Thomas is very easily the number one guy either in standard or PPR leagues. And, uh, you know, heading down the wide receivers here, a lot of rookies, I think they surprised us this year because I didn't know how they were going to come off because they were going off the board late in the draft. But, you know, your Terry McLaurin's, A.J. Brown, obviously, D.K. Metcalf did all right. But, you know, some of them, you know, Brown especially, I think it depends on how many guys you get to keep and whatnot. But I think he's got to get some consideration for keeper status. Oh, yeah, and, and Darius Slayton and Debo Samuel yep. as well. And you can even make a case for Nicole Hartman or Marquise Brown if you were in deeper mm-hmm. leagues too. Uh, and certainly those speed threats are out there. I think A.J. Brown is like, one of my favorite receivers already. I get it. Maybe it was a bit of an overreaction to what I've seen in a few plays, but this guy is a big, strong focal point of an offense that needs a big, strong focal point outside of Derrick Henry. I, I wouldn't know. Like, If you don't get a guy like A.J. Brown involved in year two after everything we saw and how he really carried them to the playoffs, what would the Titans offense really be doing? Like, I, I yeah. have no idea why they wouldn't go that direction. I think A.J. Brown already, and, and this has maybe been a step, but I'm fine putting my name to it. I think A.J. Brown is already one of the 8 to 10 best wide receivers in the NFL right now, and I really believe that he's going to be emerging even in this, as the second season and the main option uh, now that he's kind of got those rookie woes out of the way. And he made Ryan Tannehill, uh, he basically had him come back this year because uh, he got traded. He was, he was figured to be the backup to Mariota, and nope, Tannehill's the guy. And, well, A.J. Brown helped him be the guy this year and probably helped him uh, get a nice contract this offseason. Yeah, I was going to say he probably made Tannehill at least thirty to forty million. Yeah. I don't know if he makes it through the entire bit of that contract, but what you're anticipating the Titans are going to do with Tannehill or anybody who's looking to sign him, he's at least making that bit of whatever the contract ends up signing. So it, it's crazy to think about because you're right, Brom was the catalyst, and this is kind of what we thought Corey Davis would be. Yeah, never really happened, and I'm I'm about ready to give up on Davis as somebody that was super high in him. 
coming out of Western Michigan. I think A.J. Brown is the real deal, and, and it's going to be great. But not just the rookie receivers. I mean, listen, five or six that are been fantastic. But, like, the Cortland Suttons of the world or D.J. Charks of the world really responded well. John Ross, too, for the first three or four weeks. And then yeah. when he came back, was a pretty big focal point, too. Like, there's a lot of young receivers that we weren't anticipating making these leaps that did. And now we're, I think it's going to be more of the new guard at wide receiver that you kind of get to look forward to. You don't have to always rely on the Julio Jones, while I do think he's a late first-round pick, but like, there's this middle ground of wide receivers that we've all been like, oh, Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs, Julian Edelman. I think we're going to be able to really decide between a lot of really good guys, and, and Chris Godwin and Kenny Galladay are like a little bit above the Sharks and Suttons of the world, mm-hmm. but they're still all part of this young tier of wide receivers that I think is really going to make a big difference in the NFL to come. And we'll touch on the tight end position. Has George Kittle officially surpassed Travis Kelsey, or is it still one Kelsey, Kittle two? I think it's, I think it's Kittle yeah. one, Kelsey two, but you can't really go wrong. And certainly having Mahomes as your quarterback in that offense makes you feel a little safer than Jimmy G, but I think Kittle is a different talent, and we're going to be talking maybe 10 years from now as to where he ranks among the best Titans of all, or tight ends of all time. Like I think, I think we're really ready to get there the speed, the size, and his ability and able, ableness to break tackles and his run blocking. I mean, this is, this is a different body than Rob Gronkowski, but the same type of player. And I think people are going to need one more year, maybe a, a good Super Bowl run to realize that. But that's the type of level of talent we're talking about at tight end. And Gronkowski is already one of the best in the NFL of all time. And I think uh, Kittle's going to get there. Kelsey probably will, too. I'm not surprised at all if we're having that conversation uh, again eight to ten years on the road. But Kittle, Kittle is that level, and I think for me is a, a pretty easy number one tight end choice this year. And I mean, is there any? I mean, yeah, Noah Fant put up some decent rookie numbers, and, and Gaiseki as well came up on. And I mean, we've got some under the radar guys to look at a tight end this year. But uh, is there anyone else you think emerges and climbs up the rankings uh, heading into August? Well, Dale, Darren Waller was yep, yep. Uh, in one of the top pickups overall this year for a lot of people, or at least late drafts if you followed. Matthew Berry from ESPN's I saw he was super in on Darren Waller and was kind of a, a trendy late round pick towards the end of August. And I think he's in that conversation for the third or fourth overall tight end behind Zach Ertz. I really like Dallas Goddard. I've liked Dallas Goddard ever since he came out of the draft. I was really disappointed to see him go to the Eagles because I was yeah. like, oh, great. This is a, this is a tremendous talent that's going to get Berry behind Ertz in that offense. And we, we've kind of seen it now. Goddard is a critical part, if not the top two or three overall receiver on that team. And I think if they were to move on from Ertz, we had a little bit of rumblings of that in the or during the middle of the season when it was the Eagles trying to acquire Jalen Ramsey. If for whatever the reason Ertz just goes somewhere else, I think Goddard is a guy that I would immediately reach for and draft a tight end, much like I did with uh, Mark Andrews this year. Mm-hmm. Another name to watch, Hunter Henry, too. I, the, yeah. His contract is up this year. I don't know if people realize that the Chargers should re-sign him. He hasn't played a full season at all, which might make his uh, contract a little bit cheaper than might anticipate for a guy his skill set. But even if Phil Rivers is gone, I think Hunter Henry is going to be a very easy top five, top seven tight end overall, and not like O.J. Howard levels of disappointment. He's going to do really well for you uh, when he's playing. Yeah, I've, I'm still snake-bitten by the O.J. Howard thing. I, <laughs> I I don't know if it's just a change of situation. I know there was the rumor uh, this trade deadline that the Patriots maybe were making a run at him. I, I just think it's, he's got to get out of Tampa. I the, He's got talent. He showed it in his first year and a half, but – it's just not consistent at all. No, no. And I'm I'm right there with you. I thought Howard was going to be one of these next great tight ends that we're talking about. And we haven't seen it. There's still time, though. And I'm much like Eric Ebron. I'm not ready to give up on Howard if you're to go to a different situation. 
But it's clear when he's with the Buccaneers and if that continues to happen, I wouldn't feel comfortable about his fancy prospects. I think there's other guys around that range that I'd rather go ahead and roll the dice on and or hope for success. I mean, like even Jared Cook was being drafted around that point last year. That's proved to be very obvious. Oh, yeah, we should have won Jared Cook all the way. I think we'll see that with a few more tight ends, whether it be Tyler Hickey or Gerald Everett, um, come drafts in August 2020, if Howard is still around for the Buccaneers. Well, if anything taught us this year, yeah, it's important to be good in the first, you know, four rounds, but you win championships basically from round five on through 12, it seems like. And this year was a perfect example of that with just all the injuries and everything that went down. So keep that in mind for next year, right? Yeah, yeah. Just be diligent when you're when you're putting your roster together. You might have drafted Christian McCaffrey, Lamar Jackson. Uh, and that would have probably been it to, yep. to get you to the fantasy championships. But you have to make sure that you're always trying to progress it. And the strategy element about fantasy football, and why I've never really thought it was gambling, but strategy is trying to make sure your opponents don't also acquire the Brashad Perrimans of the world or the DJ Charks in Week One of free agency. Those types of players. You don't want your opponents to have, and trying to be strategic and planning out how your roster is going to look with those guys available, they always come every single year. We don't know when, but they always will be there. Trying to do that and making sure your team is still the tip-top shape is obviously the biggest key to success. And It seems obvious, but yet every single year we see guys that are available in the waiver wires two or three weeks after the fact, and they were the difference makers more often than not in terms of who won and who lost their championship. All right, I'll let you wrap it up. Packers, are we going to see them playing in Miami in a couple weeks? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know about that. But I'll, I'll say that I am more confident, and this is probably the death knell for the Packers because anytime I'm, I'm low or pessimistic on them, they always – I was going to say, you're supposed to be down on them. Right, and so this is, this is the problem. I think that they'll do all right against the Saints. Like, outdoors, in Lambeau, I don't care if it's 45 like it has been for the past three or four weeks. I think outdoors, it's going to be a different situation – and the crowd's going to be in Green Bay's favor, too, which always helps things. I think they'll handle the Saints if they end up playing them pretty well. I am worried about the 49ers, as I imagine almost everybody in Wisconsin should be after watching that debacle of a, a Sunday night game a couple of weeks, well, months ago now. And I think the Seahawks could be, present some problems, too. But I, I'm, I'm not all that worried about the Saints if they end up facing them. I think they'll have a good chance to win, and it's just going to be a matter of who they play for that game to go to the Super Bowl that makes the biggest difference. Oh, they're not going to San Francisco. It's coming through here. Seattle, I sure hope you're right. Seattle I sure hope you're right. I would feel so much better if you told me that we're playing Seattle in the final week or the Vikings, heaven forbid. I was going to say, I, I yeah. I can't see the Eagles doing that. Imagine that NFC Championship game, Vikings-Packers at Lambeau. That would be nuts. Well, this is me just wanting to wash or cleanse my hands of the <laughs> Fail Mary and the 2014 NFL Champion, yeah, or the NFC Championship. Give me the Seahawks in Lambeau. I guarantee We'll have the, the all the fates and lucks of the world that you believe in will be in our side because God knows we need one against those stupid Seahawks. <laughs> well, Joe, again, thank you very much for your time. Wish the best to the Packers this postseason, and it's been great talking fantasy with you. And uh, maybe we'll catch up after the draft and talk some more, all right? Oh, I love that. That would be great. And, and certainly uh, rooting for the Packers, and, and best of luck to you and everyone out there listening. Uh, thanks for coming along with us for this ride throughout the entire season. And again, they could always follow you on Twitter as well. You always got good information, right? Yeah, JB Fantasy Sports. Um, I actually do a little bit of baseball stuff and uh, NBA stuff as you see on. I do a little bit of DFS and everything else like that. But uh, if you want to do any keeper or dynasty league coverage as well, certainly feel free to talk to me about that on Twitter. We'll be having some articles and we'll be doing some podcasts too throughout the year, talking NFL, NBA, MLB, any of the big three for sure. 
you can imagine I'll be tweeting about it every once in a while. As we get closer to baseball season, you know it's <laughs> Brewers season, and hopefully there won't be any more disappointments from them well, uh, come the postseason. I was going to say, oh, when they trade Hater, I'll let I'll see your uh, reply on that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure he will. I'm sure he will. (laughs) Well, Joe, again, thanks for your time, and have a great offseason here. All right, thank you. That is going to put a wrap on things for the 2019 edition of the Fantasy Football Zone podcast. I thank you so much for just giving us a little bit of your time each week. Hopefully we helped you out with situations, or maybe we steered you away from some things as well. And uh, hopefully you won a championship this year. If not, 2020 right around the corner. And we will keep you updated throughout the offseason. So, again, subscribe to the Fantasy Football Zone podcast or check us out on Twitter. We will update that, especially with the free agency signing period after that wraps up plan on doing a show on that. And after the 2020 NFL draft, you heard me and Joe. We are pumped up about this rookie class. Think it's going to be a big impact to the fantasy game coming up next year. So again, look for those updates in the offseason as well. And finally, I got to send a huge thank you and shout out to our friends over at rotowire.com. DJ Trainer, thanks for setting this all up and helping us out. And the experts, Jim Coventry, Jerry Donabedian, Joe Bartle. A lot of great insight this year and different ways on how you would go about maybe putting your lineup in. It was fantastic. Great analysis. I cannot vouch for those guys enough. Check them out, rotowire.com, and they don't take the offseason off. They have numbers. They have everything updated all throughout the offseason, everything to help you out in your draft. Again, I cannot say enough. Rotowire.com, they definitely will help you out for your 2020 draft. I'm old school. I usually get the magazine and flip through it. I, I've got to do that. I don't. I know all my friends, they got the spreadsheets, or they print off the rosters and the top 200 t- cheat sheets. I'm old school. i got to still get my Rotowire magazine. But, again, I, I vouch for it. I love using their product. And, again, it was so great to have them on this year. So a big thank you once again to our friends over at rotowire.com. So until the free agency episode, that'll do it for now. Again, congratulations, all league winners, and thank you so much for checking us out. Fantasy Football Zone podcast. Subscribe to the Fantasy Football Zone and give us a five-star rating while you're at it. Follow us on Twitter at DraftThatGuy. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Football Zone podcast.